Okay, we're in Nehemiah chapter 12. We're starting a new chapter today, so. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer and then we can get into the passage. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that for the things that we can learn from it. Um, you know, we've been going through some passages with a lot of names and uh, sometimes it seems kind of dry, but there are gems in there and we, we pray that as we go through this, we can pick out those gems and and those things that we can learn about uh, the way the, the Jewish society functioned and how their worship functioned, and that that might be a blessing to us. And uh, so we just ask that uh, you do make your word practical in our lives, help us to understand more about you from, from reading and studying your word. We pray you bless our time now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so last week we finished chapter 11. If you're going to pick a chapter to preach on, this is not it. It was just all names of people, names of towns. Um, it was about repopulating Jerusalem. And so we had a long list of all the people who actually lived in Jerusalem, whether it was before or after they moved more people in there, we're not really sure. But then it also talked about all the people who lived outside of Jerusalem and gave us the names of all the towns that had a sizable population of Jews outside of Jerusalem. So that was the main point of the whole passage, was who lived where. And we did pick up a few little odds and ends about Jewish culture and religion. But overall, it's pretty dry stuff to go through. So today we're starting chapter 12, and the first half of it, we got a lot of names. But we'll cover that pretty quickly, I think. Um, and this chapter starts by listing the names of the leaders of the priests and the Levites. So this is kind of a, a recapitulation of who are the uh, families uh, that are qualified to serve in the temple and to serve around the temple at this time. And that was something that was always uh, very clear uh, or very important to the Jews to make sure that the people were qualified. Now in this passage, it's... It's kind of interesting because they'll talk about the priests and then talk about the Levites and then talk about the priests and then go back to the Levites. And I decided it would make more sense. To, let's just talk about the priests first. So we'll skip around a little bit. And then we'll talk about the Levites second. Uh, now one of the things that it does is, uh, as far as dates, things will be dated based on um, who was king? You remember Nehemiah left for um, Jerusalem to rebuild the walls in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah, oh, excuse me, that was Nehemiah who came to rebuild the wall in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. Ezra had come in the 13th year of Artaxerxes. They finished the temple in the 7th year or 2nd year of King Darius. So they used kings to date things. Well, the Jews often used the high priest as their basis for dating because they didn't have a king. They'd been deported, uh, you know, and they, weren't, they don't have kings now, but they have high priests. So let's look, start by looking at verses 10 and 11. So this gives us a basis for our dates. Um, 
And Jeshua became the father of Joachim, and Joachim became the father of Eliashib. Eliashib became the father of Joiada. Joiada became the father of Jonathan, and Jonathan became the father of Jadua. So these are the high priests. Um, Jeshua or Joshua was the high priest who returned after the captivity when King Cyrus uh, sent the Jews back to Jerusalem. So that starts with Jeshua. Uh, so we have his son, Joachim. Then we have Eliashib. And we've seen his name as we've gone through Nehemiah because he was high priest when they rebuilt the wall. And then after him, we have Joida. And then Jonathan, who in some places in our passage will be called Johanna. And then last we have Jadua. Um, and the notes say that that's a possibility that Jadua was the high priest when Alexander the Great showed up at the gates of Jerusalem. And he went out and showed Alexander from the, the Jewish scriptures the prophecy that Alexander would come. You know, so uh, Josephus says that. Um, so as we go through here, we'll we'll be noting, uh, uh, you know, when this list was current, who was high priest when this list was made, and, and things like that. Um, now some of these last few names they come after the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. So. The commentaries say, well, the list was updated and added to by later scribes. Ezra is commonly uh, assumed to be the one who wrote uh, not just Ezra and Nehemiah, but also First and Second Chronicles. Um, but we do have places all throughout Scripture where there's, there's notes and things added uh, later. Even in uh, the books of Moses, there's some things that Moses wouldn't have known about or more modern names where scribes would go in and change names to bring it more up to date. Okay, so those are our uh, priests, and that, that'll kind of give us an order of, uh, you know, who's doing what when. So let's start by looking at, at the priests. Chapter 12, uh, first part of verse 1. It says, Now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua. Okay, so at the time of Jeshua, so this is the and the return from captivity. Zerubbabel is the governor at the time. Jeshua is the high priest. And so we have a list of names uh, from the second part of uh, verse 1 uh, all the way through the first part of verse 7. And verse 7 ends by saying, uh, these were the heads of the priests and their kinsmen in the days of Jeshua. So this is the official list of priests. These families were the priests. There's 22 names here in this list. So that's when they came back from captivity. Now let's drop down to verse 12. So it says, now in the days of Joachim, so Joachim is Jeshua's son. So this is the next generation. And it looks like Joachim actually may have still been alive at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. 
So you have um, the return from captivity in uh, 586 BC, or five, excuse me, five, 538 BC. Um, Nehemiah was uh, sent to rebuild the walls in 444. So that's about 104 years. So it's possible that you've got just a second generation. Joachim may have been fairly old because Eliashib was the active high priest at that time. So here's the second list. It says the heads of the father's household in the days of Jehoiakim. So this is the next generation of families. And it pretty much follows the first list. You're looking at the end of verse uh, 12. It says, of Sariah, Mariah. And you go back to verse 1, the first uh, family named is Sariah. So his son is Mariah, and he's now the head of the family. And so you can pretty well follow the names. And it depends on, um, in the, my New American Standard, that doesn't show up, but I've got an NIV where it lists the names and the heads of the families, and it's pretty obvious how they line up with the first list. Except that in the second list, there's only 21 names <coughs> versus 22 in the first list. And it doesn't really, there's not really a good explanation for that, except maybe you had a, a family of priests that had no sons, only daughters, and so that particular family as priests ended. So we got two lists of priests. <coughs> okay, so now let's look at the Levites. Uh, our first list is in verses 8 and 9. You know, and the Levites were, and it names them. Um, we have in verse 8, and Mataniah, who was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving, he and his brothers, so that we've got the singers. And then in verse 9, also Bakmukia and Uni, and their brothers who stood opposite them in their service divisions. So there's only... Uh, Eight names here in this list compared to the 22 um, priests. But again, we've seen all along a lot more priests return than we had Levites returning uh, to the land. Now, we've looked at these two verses before because it talks about the singers and two groups that stand opposite each other. Um, and the commentaries call this uh, antiphonal singing. Now, anti does not mean... Uh, against it means over or opposite to and there's I, I've seen in the uh, between the boot of Italy and the island of Sicily there's two towns I can't remember their names but it's like across you know here we could have Longview and anti-Longview you know you could call Rainier anti-Longview it's not that they're opposed but they're opposite sides of the river so in well, that's that's a different okay. prefix. <laughs> that means yeah, before, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's and that's something when you um, you know this this word anti. You know, we talk about the antichrist, and that in that case it means instead of. It's a substitute for the true Christ. <laughs> 
So it's opposite or instead of or opposed to. So it has multiple meanings. And here it's two groups standing opposite each other. Would the Antichrist also come under the opposite meaning? Yeah. yeah. He's also opposed to Christ, really. Right. So, um, so we got these two choirs opposite each other. I don't know if you've... I remember going to visiting a Lutheran church where you had responsive readings where the, the, the minister would read one line and then the uh, audience, the congregation would respond with the rest of the verse back and forth. So it was kind of like that. Okay, so that's the list back in the times of, uh, of Jeshua. And let's go down to... Verse 24. <clears throat> okay, so here's the ones at a later date, 24 through 26. Um, and this says the heads of the Levites were, and then down in verse 26, uh, these served in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua. So this is the next generation. Uh, and again, in the middle of verse 24, we have Jeshua, the sons of Cadmiel, with their brothers opposite them to praise and give thanks, as prescribed by David, the man of God, division corresponding to division. Um, so again, we got the two groups opposite each other uh, in the singing. Um, and it talks about how they're prescribed by King David. That was... Um, so we've seen that over and over again as we've gone through these books, that they did things according to the law, or they did, especially with the Levites, they worshipped according to uh, David. Let's go back to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3, it's more like three verses 10 and 11 for us. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord... The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks, thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Okay, so we have... Um, Again, according to the uh, directions of King David of Israel. David was not allowed to build the temple, but he did everything he could except for that. He's, there are whole chapters in First Chronicles where he names the priests, names the Levites, chain, you know, describes their divisions. They had like 24, I think, divisions of each where they would come and serve for half a month and then go home and the next division would come and serve for half a month and, and leave. And that is, you know, a rotation, uh, both of priests and of Levites. They defined which group did what. You know, so David had everything ready to go for the worship service except for building the temple. And he collected all the material and did the design work. And so when he turned it over to Solomon, it was like, okay, all you got to do is put the pieces together and, and you're off, you know. And, and, and so he did as much as possible. Now in all that reading, though, um, there's no mention of antiphonal singing, of two groups singing back and forth for all the planning that David did. Um, the, but, the passage that 
Marie just read, didn't it say something about response? Yeah, it did. Yeah, and that was in Ezra. So, so they did the same thing there. Um, but I think one of the things we see is that, you know, they just didn't say, okay, well, the singing styles have changed, so we're going to do something different. It's like, no, what? How is it supposed to be done? Let's go back to the to God's word, to what was God established beforehand, and we will continue doing that. Um, Now there is one place here to clarify in verse 25 because it talks about in 24 about the singing and then verse 25 talks about Mataniah and Bacchae and Obadiah, Meshulam, Talman and Akub uh, were gatekeepers keeping watch at the storehouses of the gates. So it gives you the impression that uh, what is there six names here that they were all gatekeepers Actually, the first, at least the first three are singers. They belong to verse 24. And if you go back to all our lists back in chapter 11, it pretty well defines these people. Um, and again, the last two names, uh, Talman and Akub, um, were listed as gatekeepers. Well, you can look back. Let's just turn the page back. Chapter 11, verse 19. <clears throat> And also the gatekeepers, Akub, Talman, and their brethren. So we have the same two names for gatekeepers. So that just, just a little bit of a clarification on that verse. Uh, okay. So those are our lists of names. Now let's go and look at verses 22 and 23. We skipped over those earlier. It says, as for the Levites, the heads of fathers' households were registered in the days of Eliashib, Joiada, Johanan, and Jadua, as were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. The sons of Levi, the heads of the fathers' households, were registered in the book of the Chronicles up to the days of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. So this is basically saying that they had a complete registration of Levites, at least up through Johanan, who, who actually was the grandson of Eliashib. So this may have been added later because it may have been after Ezra and Nehemiah's time. Um, now, in the New American Standard, it says they were, in verse 23, it said they were registered in the book of the Chronicles, which sounds like First and Second Chronicles. But that's actually a generic term of, of book of records because uh, NIV says in the book of the annals. So that's not referring to First and Second Chronicles here. Um, and so it's telling us you know, how important it was to the Jews to have their priests and their Levites registered so that they could go back and... Um, and show that they were qualified to serve. And we've seen that before. Let's go all the way back to Ezra chapter 2. This is when they first returned to the land and they were getting themselves organized because they were going to rebuild the temple. And Ezra chapter 2, would someone like to read verses 62 and 63? Ezra 2, 62 and 63. 
searched among their ancestral registrations, but they could not be located. Therefore, they were considered unclean and excluded from the priesthood. The governor said to them that they should not eat any of the most holy things until a priest stood up with urine and thummim. Okay, so these were the priests, were people who claimed to be priests, and they couldn't prove it in their records. It says they were considered unclean. Yeah, that's how serious it was. They were considered unclean. They were excluded from, from the priesthood. But again, you know, they were going to ask God with the omen and thummim, you know, are these people acceptable or not? We don't have the records. God, you're going to have to tell us because you know and let us know whether uh, they belong or not. So, you know, having your name in the records is important, uh, especially for the Jewish priesthood. Um, let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. Um, not very much. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say much about them. It was, it was like a pouch on the front of the high priest and they think there was like stones, stones white and black stones or something like that, that they would it was, it was a little bit like drawing lots yeah so they weren't exactly sure how it worked but you know if they had a question for God they would the high priest would, would pull them out either you know reach in and pull one out and you know if it was white it was yes and if it was black it was no or something like that yeah Okay, Revelation chapter 20. Would someone like, like to read verse 15 for us? And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so if you can't find your name in the records, it's worse than just being unclean. It's eternity in the lake of fire. So... Um, whenever I read through this and I think of make sure your name's in the book <laughs> uh, so these are the books of those who are saved uh, the book of life okay well that gets us through the names verse 27 we're going back to some action now there will be some names here but not like we had before um, so the rest of this chapter is dedicated to the dedication of the wall. Now the wall was completed back in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. So here we are in chapter 12, verse 27. So we've had almost as much scripture from the time they started to build the wall from as after the time they finished the wall before we get to the dedication. And so what all has happened? Well, we read about them celebrating the Feast of Booths. And then they read the law to all the people, which resulted in a, realizing that they had violated the law, which resulted in confession, and then got worship. Remember we had that whole chapter was like a big psalm. And then they wrote up a document in which they committed themselves to obey God's law. And then finally, we had the resettlement of Jerusalem. So those are all the things that the book has covered since the wall was completed. Um, so this seems like an awful long 
break here. And so, you know, one of the commentaries, they note that, you know, often in Scripture, and especially with Ezra, he was not necessarily concerned about getting everything in exact order or sequence or timing, but he got everything recorded. So uh, some of these things may be out of sequence that we've covered. On the other hand, uh, if they could delay their dedication ceremonies until all these other things were completed, then there was time. So, Okay, so reading verse 27. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving, and with songs to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So they start by uh, uh, going out and, and finding all the Levites from all the places they lived. And again, they, in, in the beginning, there were very few of them living in Jerusalem, but now they needed them to come and celebrate. Um, And so they're going to do that. They're going to come and they're going to celebrate and worship God. The Levites were the worship leaders. They were the singers. They were the musicians. We had to have them for all the music. The verse mentions hymns, songs, cymbals, harps, lyres. Lots of music, lots of singing. And then skipping down to verse 35, it says, And some of the sons of the priests with trumpets. So the priests were there with the trumpets. And way back at the dedication of the foundation of the temple, in Ezra chapter 2 or Ezra chapter 3, we spent some time looking through the Old Testament. The priests were the ones who blew the trumpets. The Levites were not allowed to do that. It was a partition of duties under the law. So this was going to be a joyful, musical celebration of God's goodness and blessings. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. Someone like to read verse 16, Colossians 3, 16. Okay, so we've got songs and hymns and spiritual songs and singing. Celebration, yes. Um, we are also to celebrate. I was just looking to see if there's, because I think that's, there's a parallel passage in Ephesians, but I, but I can't remember how much it said about. You found it? I don't know if it mentions all the music or not. I can't remember. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Skip that. It's just, okay. It says my. It doesn't have anything to do with singing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a cross reference. Okay. Yeah, some cross references are great, and some are. You wonder why they're there. Okay. Must have been a different part of the verse. Okay. 
Excuse me. Going on to verses 28 and 29. It says, So the sons of the singers were assembled from the district around Jerusalem and from the village of the Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from their fields in Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built themselves villages around Jerusalem. So these two verses tell where they had to go to get to round up the Levites. Um, they'd built villages outside of Jerusalem. Again, they were not be they had not been supplied correctly by the tithes. The people had not been keeping providing tithes, so the people, the Levites, had to go and farm to uh, maintain their living. So they had set up villages around outside Jerusalem, um, but they were not far away. Most of them, they were close by. Now it mentions the Netophathites. So that sounds like some kind of a special group of people. And so I looked that one up. <clears throat> Near Bethlehem, there was a little town called Natafa. These are just the people that lived in the little town of Natafa. Near, yeah. So there's nothing special about them. It's just uh, uh, arranged or written out differently. Instead of saying they were, yeah, they weren't. They're not the Yeah, they they weren't like giants or something. No. Uh, uh, Commentaries uh, mentioned that Beth Gilgal was uh, near uh, Jericho. Uh, Geba and Asmaveth were both north of Jerusalem in the in the region of Bethlehem. So they were close by. <coughs> okay, going on to verse thirty, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates, and the wall. So we had seen, um, in back in chapter 11, verse 1, it talked about Jerusalem is the holy city. That's one of the few places in the Old Testament where it's called that. But this is God's city. So they purified the wall. They dedicated the wall. Um, uh, but they had to purify it first because it was part of the holy city. Now it doesn't tell us how this was done. Um, how do you go about purifying the people? I thought, well, let's go back to Exodus chapter 19. It talks a little bit about purification. <laughs> Fogging. Exodus chapter 19, yes. All right. So I'm going to read verses 10 and 15, just those two verses. <clears throat> the Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments. And then 15, he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Okay, so this is when God's going to come down on Mount Sinai. He wanted the people sanctified. So the two things here, wash your clothes no sexual relations. Um, let's go to Numbers chapter 19. Someone like to read verses 7 through 9 here.
Then the priest shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. But the priest shall be unclean until evening. The one who burns the heifer shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his body in water, and shall be unclean until evening. And the man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the water for impurity for the congregation of the people of Israel. It is a sin offering. Okay, so it, New American Standard says it in verse 9, it is the purification <coughs> from sin. So this is uh, talking about the red heifer who was slaughtered outside the camp and burned and the, the ashes were mixed with water. So we see two things. One is um, that the people who did this had to be purified bef- because they were unclean. They had to come back into camp. And again, we, they washed their clothes, washed and bathed. And then finally, you've got the actual um, water of purification that would be sprinkled onto people to purify them. So here's um, different ways of purifying. You know, I, I don't think they had as much water available as we did, and bathing of the body may have been a rare occurrence. <laughs> so uh, it was done before you went into uh, a holy place. Um, so this is how they were, were purified. Now the commentary also noted that, you know, and reminded us, you know, purification was also done with um, blood from the uh, offerings. When you go back or to the original uh, tabernacle, the priests, they put the blood on the right ear lobe, the right thumb, the right big toe to purify the priests. They sprinkled blood on all the uh, utensils, uh, on everything, and that purified them. So, um, again, it's, it's appropriate that the city be cleansed, be purified, because this is God's holy city. You know, they, they built the walls, but they had not consecrated them to God. So this first part here, this looks like something that the priests would have done in, I guess, in a religious sense, because the dedication that we see that starts in the next verse is more of a civil, um, I guess, party. It's like, you know, in in our day and age, sometimes they'll open a new road. You know, they'll have a ribbon-cutting ceremony, and you'll have all the civic leaders there. And so that looks like what we have in the rest of this. Um, but this first part, this verse here, is where the priests dedicate the walls to God in the same way that they dedicated the tabernacle and the temple to God. Okay, so here in between 30 and 31, though, we have a, you know, a kind of a change because we start talking about the dedication service starting in verse 31. Um, I'll go ahead and start this, I guess. Um, we have a little bit of time. It says, Then I had the leaders of Judah come up on top of the wall, and I appointed two great choirs, the first proceeding to the right on top of the wall towards the refuse gate. So this is first person. Who's speaking here? This is Nehemiah. So he's the governor. So he's the political leader now. So that's why I was making the distinction between the priest and the the purification. And now we have the political leader and the dedication with the the, uh, ceremonies. 
So he's uh, writing in first person, and he has all the, uh, the leaders and the choirs divide up into two groups. And what's going to happen is they're going to go up on the wall, and one group's going to go to the right and go around counterclockwise, and the other group's going to go around to the left clockwise, and they're going to meet on the other side. So they're starting out here um, you know, based on uh, going right toward the refuse gate. Remember, Jerusalem was on top of a ridge, runs north-south, down to the very southern end, which is what was called the refuse gate or the dung gate. So they took all their garbage and threw it out at the lowest elevation below their water supply. So they were smart enough to do that. You know, um, so if you see Dungate, Refuse Gate, they're the same gate. They're down at the very southern end of the um, city. So they've started out, um, this, this first group, the one that goes to the right and goes counterclockwise, they have to travel a ways to get there. And this is, they're probably starting at the Valley Gate, which is, if we go back to Nehemiah 2, when Nehemiah first came, remember he went out at night, Let's see if I can find it here. Okay, starting in verse 13. Nehemiah 2.13. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on to the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem. So he went through the valley gate, went south and then around and, and to see what was going on there. So that's the same path this choir is taking, except now there's a completed wall to, to walk on. Remember when Nehemiah went, he went partway around and then was blocked by the by the debris, and they, he, he had been riding on a, a donkey, I think. He had to abandon the donkey because the donkey couldn't get through the debris pile. And now they've got a completed wall, so we'll see the choir go all the way around. But, so they're starting in the southeast, excuse me, the southwest corner of Jerusalem. They're going to go opposite directions and meet up in the northeast corner near the temple. Well, we're out of time, so we're going to close here, and we'll pick up the dedication services in a couple weeks, because I think uh, um, Phil is going to have Sunday school class next week. So, uh, Phil, you want to close in prayer for us there? Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together, we thank you for your word delve into the Old Testament and see your faithfulness in bringing back the city and the priests and the worship um, that glorifies you. We thank you that uh, we can see how you provide in such a, a great way to bring back that to the city. Father, we know that there's even greater promises of the future time that we can look to a new Jerusalem, Father, just uh, because uh, you are the one that uh, carries out your promises. Father, we just uh, thank you for this time in the Word again this morning as we now look forward to our worship together. And we commit that time to you as well in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.